0: You are listening to Light Hearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Michelle Jewell-Shaw, chairperson of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses and star teacher at the Rochester, New Hampshire Middle School. Hi, Michelle.
1: Hi, Jeremy, and hello to all of our listeners out there.
0: Today is July 2nd, 2022, and this is episode 180 of Lighthearted. In a few minutes, we'll hear another interview I recorded during a recent trip to Michigan. The interview is with Bruce Lynn, executive director of the Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum at Whitefish Point. It's an amazing place. I really enjoyed visiting there and talking with Bruce. So, Michelle, how's your summer going?
1: So far, so good. We've had some pretty nice weather, and I've been busy with tours at the Lighthouse and just being on summer break from school, but it's going pretty well.
0: Yeah, I know you've been super busy. And uh, since you bring it up, I'll just throw in that if there's anybody listening who's within uh, driving distance of the New Hampshire seacoast, if they're interested in volunteering for Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses, uh, we're uh, we're always looking for volunteers to help with the, the tours we give yes, there. Yes, definitely. So if they are interested, they can go to PortsmouthHarborLighthouse.org uh, online, and all the contact info is on there. So. Maybe we'll hear from someone.
1: Yes, that would be great.
0: Yeah. So we are actually recording this in June, a while before I leave for a trip to England and Ireland for the whole month of July. Uh, It seems a little strange, but I'll actually be spending the 4th of July in London. Never done that before. Really looking forward to the trip. I'll be in England for a few days, and then I'll be meeting up with the U.S. Lighthouse Society's tour uh, for about three weeks in Ireland. And I will be doing a few interviews along the way on that trip. So do you have any plans for the 4th of July, Michelle?
1: Um, probably just going to my brother's for a barbecue. That's something we typically do every year, swim in his pool and just spend some time with family.
0: Yeah, that's a, always a good good day for that. That sounds good. If I wasn't going to be in England, my wife Charlotte and I would probably go down the road to uh, Parsons Field in Rye, New Hampshire, where they always have uh, fireworks and a band, and that's always a fun, fun event. But Yeah. But again, I'll be celebrating uh, 4th of July in England, which will be a little different.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: So, Michelle, uh, has anything notable happened on this date in lighthouse history?
1: Why, yes, it has. On July 2nd, 1801, the first lighthouse structure at Plymouth, Massachusetts, was destroyed by fire. The 1768 building was a keeper's house with two lights on the roof. It was home to the first woman lighthouse keeper in America, Hannah Thomas, who took over when her husband died in 1776.
0: After the fire, a new pair of lighthouses was built in 1803. They were rebuilt again in 1843, and one of the 1843 towers still stands today. Locals know it as the Gurnet Light. It's the oldest freestanding wooden lighthouse in the country, and it's cared for by the nonprofit organization Project Gurnet and Bug Lights. So, Michelle, please help me tell everyone about Whitefish Point and our guest.
1: Sure, Jeremy. Whitefish Point, near the eastern end of Michigan's Upper Peninsula, is a critical turning point for maritime traffic entering Lake Superior. Whitefish Point Light Station was established in 1849 and is the oldest operating lighthouse on the lake. The present skeletal-style lighthouse tower replaced the original stone tower in 1861. The 78-foot-tall cast-iron tower has four levels of bracing around a central cylindrical shaft.
0: Whitefish Point marks the eastern end of a notorious 80-mile stretch of shoreline that's known as Lake Superior's Shipwreck Coast. Of 550 known major shipwrecks in the vicinity, at least 200 have been near Whitefish Point. Probably the most famous was the 1975 loss of the freighter Edmund Fitzgerald and its crew of 29, just 17 miles north-northwest of Whitefish Point.
1: A steam-operated fog signal was added to the station in 1872, Whitefish Point was eventually assigned a principal keeper and two assistants because of all the work involved with the rotating light and the fog signal. The original keeper's house was converted into a duplex in 1895 and another house was added for a second assistant keeper. In
0: 1923, a lifeboat station was added to the site. The Coast Guard closed the lifeboat station in 1951 and the light station was automated and de-staffed in 1971. In
1: 1980, Whitefish Township approached the Great Lakes Shipwreck Historical Society for assistance in preserving the light station. The Society obtained a license from the Coast Guard and opened a museum on the site. The present Shipwreck Museum building opened in 1987. Ownership of the entire site was transferred to the Society in 1996.
0: The Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum has become one of Michigan's most popular destinations attracting over 75,000 visitors each season. The museum includes the Shipwreck Museum Gallery, the 1861 Light Keepers Quarters, and the 1923 Surf Boat House. There's also a boardwalk that provides visitor access to the nearby beach.
1: Bruce Lynn has been the Executive Director of the Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum since 2013. He holds a Master's Degree from Eastern Michigan University's Historic Preservation Program and has experience as an historical interpreter and museum curator. He and his wife, Jill, who is a veterinarian in Sault Ste. Marie, live with four dogs and two cats.
0: I visited Whitefish Point during my recent trip to Michigan and I talked with Bruce Lynn in the main gallery of the Shipwreck Museum. Let's listen to that conversation now. I am here at Whitefish Point at the Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum at Whitefish Point in Michigan on Lake Superior. And I am here with Bruce Lynn, who is the executive director of the museum. Hi, Bruce. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you, Jeremy. It's a pleasure to have you here at Whitefish Point. This is such a treat. We're actually sitting in the exhibit hall here in the, the Shipwreck Museum Gallery. Uh, with uh, an incredible lens right right in front of me here, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. But uh, for anybody at all interested in in lighthouses, in uh, shipwreck history, and maritime history in general, this is a a must see. Of course, anybody interested in the history of the Great Lakes. So we'll we'll talk about some of those aspects. Uh, but first, I I'd just like to well, first, let me ask you a real real basic question here. And it may I think it has a pretty obvious answer, but there may I think there may be a little more to it than what beats the eye but why is why is whitefish
2: point called whitefish point so that's a that's a great question we have a lot of our visitors ask that exact question we're we're situated between whitefish bay and lake superior and uh, originally with the native american tribes that were up here this was more of a seasonal gathering place meaning in the summer they would come up here and the whitefish were so plentiful that eventually this logically got the name whitefish point Mm -hmm. and uh so whitefish is still uh commercially fished and and you even have sport anglers that are out there trying to get them but and if you if you're in the area you you hit a restaurant you're going to find whitefish on the menu i've noticed that and as a matter of
0: fact i never had whitefish before until a few days ago uh uh, my friend nick korstad i should mention is here nick korstad is the owner of big bay point lighthouse and we're uh doing uh, a lighthouse uh marathon here over this uh week while I'm in the area and we ate at a place in Bayfield Wisconsin the other night it was called the the, the, uh, the pickled herring I it was the name of the restaurant and I had fantastic whitefish it was so good so I, I do know what that's about now I understand why it's so popular but let me ask you Bruce uh, just a little bit more about you before we talk about everything else the uh, what led
2: you to become the executive director here of this museum well, Jeremy, that's a that's a broad question, but I uh, I've worked in museums most of my adult life, mm-hmm. um, and my family, and this is probably part of the key to the answer. My family bought a cabin just south of Whitefish Point back in the mid 1970s, so I grew up playing around this lighthouse when the keeper's quarters was boarded up, and we'd try to peek through the windows, and <laughs> uh, you know it was it was then and is now an operating lighthouse, but it was automated at that point. Uh, which it is now, uh, but picture chain link fences around the base of the tower and the fog signal. And for uh, for a child coming up from around central Ohio and seeing all this and Lake Superior being right here, uh, it was pretty exciting. And it's always kind of, you know, lodged in my brain as a fascinating place to be. And yeah. I'm just very fortunate that my museum career has brought me here. Right. And uh, I did an internship in the mid-90s. And by 2011, the Director that was here at the time was retiring, and uh, I had always been active with the organization, and, and here I am. Uh huh. That's great. Sounds like you're the, the right person in the right place at the right time. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh,
0: so let's talk about uh, the shipwreck coast here. The, uh, the coast uh, is known as the shipwreck coast of Lake Superior. Why, why is it known for that? Why are there
2: so many shipwrecks near here? So to to say shipwreck coast, that's more of a recent, um, you know, if you look through historic newspapers going way back, you're going to see references to the graveyard of the lakes and things like that. But in probably in the last 50 years, it started to be called the shipwreck coast. Uh, The key here is there are a lot of shipwrecks in this area. That's probably an obvious, but there's about 200 between here and going west to the area of the Pictured Rocks National Lakeshore. And uh, there's a combination of factors for that. If we if we go back 100 years, the amount of ship traffic passing Whitefish Point coming in and out of Lake Superior, and that's part of the key here too. All of your ship traffic coming in and out of the Big Lake have to go past this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you get that funnel of traffic, what are you going to get when you have more traffic? You have more accidents. You combine some pretty nasty weather that we can get up here at times. There's really nothing to stop those uh, northwest winds from building up energy and crossing the lake and hitting the shoreline. Um, We have no real natural harbors once you start going west along that 80-mile stretch. So in a lot of cases you would get ships that would get driven ashore. Um, you You might have collisions out here in Whitefish Bay when all that traffic funneling together, um, and then there's always human error, but but you put all that traffic together and some pretty uh, dramatic weather, and not much in the way of um, harbors, and, and there you go. You get a lot of shipwrecks. And uh, it kind of goes along with the shipwrecks,
0: but there are a number of U.S. life-saving service stations established along Lake Superior, uh, including one here at Whitefish Point. Uh, what kind of role did those stations play
2: in the history here? That's a good question. So, one thing I have to point out: we never had a life saving station here at Whitefish Point. Okay. People, there, there's a lot of confusion, but what we had was a Coast Guard lifeboat station. Okay. So it was really the same thing, different era.
0: Which was established when?
2: Uh, twenty three. So oh, okay. nineteen twenty three. We had the lifeboat, or other people call it a rescue right. station, depending on which documents you look at. Yeah. But to go back to your original question, there were four original stations, uh, I say original, really they were the first life-saving stations on Lake Superior built right along this stretch. Mm -hmm. And there was a big storm in 1872, it sank a lot of ships, and two of which uh, you had some crew members that got ashore, they were alive, you could tell that they were alive for a little while. That they died from exposure. So right along this stretch where so many shipwrecks were occurring, mm-hmm. the Life Saving Service decided there's going to be, OK, we're going to put four stations in that area. And Vermillion is only like 12 miles to the west. That's really the only one of the four that has anything left of those original four. Um, The original station house still stands, but then you had Chris Point after that, and of course a lot of people think of Chris Point for the lighthouse, but there was actually a life-saving station there before the lighthouse was constructed, and then Deer Park and Two-Hearted River, and there are your original four. Grand Marais eventually uh, ended up getting one, a life-saving station. But beyond that, then you started to see more of those stations built on Lake Superior.
0: Uh, what is on the site here that relates to the Coast Guard history?
2: Yes. So we have a number of the original 1923 buildings here, Mm -hmm. which is surprising probably for some people because the Coast Guard divested themselves of those buildings back in the uh, early 50s. So uh, a number of them were moved to a local fishing family, which we've been fortunate enough, uh, commercial fishing operation, they used them to store nets and things like that. But, uh, we have a cruise quarters building that's here, uh, that is used for staff housing. We have a motor lifeboat house that we moved back in 2013. Uh, we're going to open that up, uh, Memorial day weekend this year. So that's been about a five year restoration that's been going on, on and off. Uh, we have a watchtower that's here. So Mm -hmm. very much like a lot of those old life saving stations used to have. Um, and then, what am I forgetting here? Surfboat house. Mm-hmm. So we have a Surfboat house as well. And that's one that's been open to the public for a number of years now. Okay. It's fantastic. So
0: you said, uh, the one building is used for staff quarters. Does, uh,
2: much or all of the staff live here in season? Not at all. No. So we have a little community of paradise, Michigan, that's 11 miles to the South, but there's only a few hundred people that live there. Yeah. So having that cruise quarters enables me to get interns, uh, you know, museum interns, uh, not that long ago, it was more of a B and B type of a setting. Right. Um, but, uh, but it is a pretty nice, it's very nice housing for these, these college students that are coming in much yeah. nicer than any, uh, housing I had when I was in that kind of a situation. Um, but yeah, it works out very nicely. Yeah.
0: That sounds fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about the history of the, the light station here, the lighthouse. Uh, it is the oldest light station on Lake Superior, right? It, oldest operating. Oldest, okay. Oldest, right. It wasn't the first, but it's the oldest operating light station on, on Lake Superior.
2: Why was Whitefish Point an important place for a lighthouse? So very important because of all that ship traffic coming mm-hmm. and going. So yep. if you think... Um, If we want to look at some of the details that led to so much ship traffic, uh, Sault Ste. Marie really isn't that far away, a little bit southeast of us. Uh, 1855, the Sioux locks, those navigational locks opened up. And then at that point, it's almost like it was like an explosion of ship traffic coming up into Lake Superior. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, they actually portaged ships, some of them, back in the day. Uh, And so that would take several weeks to do. Picture pulling a ship up out of the water and you're rolling it across what's Portage Avenue now in St. Marie. Not a very efficient uh, process, and so when those locks opened up, and then it was like a, it was like a parade of ship right. traffic passing. Um, yeah. But let me step back to something. There, there is com- some confusion sometimes about, you know, whether we're the oldest, the oldest operating, which was the first operating on Lake Superior, and mm-hmm. Nick and I talked about this a second ago. Copper Harbor, the light station out there, and here at Whitefish Point, they were both commissioned roughly the same time, and they were both operational the same year, 1849. We're not exactly sure uh, which one was first. Of course, I'm going to say Whitefish Point was first, and if I had to hazard a guess, I think they're saying Copper Harbor was first. It's a good question. Um, There's... I do not believe operates at this point. This one is still considered a, uh, an operating aid to navigation by the Coast Guard. Right. But there is an older lighthouse still, an older structure, that's on Lake Superior. And it's on Isle Royale. Do, do you know which one it is? Rock Harbor. Rock Harbor. Yeah, I think that one's, is that 1850s? I'm trying to remember how old exactly that one is. But but the structure, it's not an operational lighthouse. This is the kind of fun thing we talk about with our staff here at the museum because you will yeah. get lighthouse enthusiasts yeah. that come in. They know it's, their stuff and they're trying to trip people up. Yeah, you know, that yeah. kind of. Thing. It gets.
0: It's always tricky in in lighthouse history. The you know what the most, the tallest, the oldest, the first. Uh, you know, right. It, so I try to stay away from those uh, <laughs> those phrases as much as possible. But uh, anyway, it's a, one of the one of the earliest certainly. Uh, operating lighthouses on uh, Lake Superior. Uh, The tower itself is uh, what I think a lot of lighthouse buffs or people, when they think of a lighthouse, they don't think of a lighthouse of this style. Probably a lot of people are kind of surprised by what this one looks like. It's uh, probably the closest thing in the the Northeast in my part of the country would be Coney Island, New York. Looks a little bit like it. It was built in 1861, which seems kind of early for this style lighthouse. Uh, Do you know why it was built in this style? So
2: I think part of it had to do with the conditions here. Mm -hmm. The first tower, which was a uh, stone tower uh, built by a gentleman coming up from Sandusky, Ohio. After the first few years, you can read reports where some of the lighthouse keepers were uh, feeling that it was unsafe. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe it hadn't been built exactly to the specifications, but from that era, you know, it's hard to tell. Um, But... I think the lighthouse service looked at this area. We have had over 90 mile per hour winds that have been clocked in this area before. So I think the thought was, and and I can't say this for certain, but that technology of an iron pile lighthouse, I believe was relatively new at that point. And uh, they built uh, three of them um up up here in the upper great lakes whitefish point of course uh, manitou island and western lake superior near copper harbor and then detour point mm-hmm. uh down in detour now of course there's the detour reef light uh, who knows where that one went when they disassembled it these things are like big erector sets right you can see numbers on the different sections yeah they're pretty cool uh at least us we Lighthouse nerds up here at Whitefish Point think that we have the best-looking lighthouse, you know, on the Great Lakes. But you're right. A lot of people come up and they, they visit it, and this is not what they expect. They, yeah. they expect more of a standard, maybe what you might see at Point Iroquois or mm-hmm. Chris Point. Um, but people are surprised, uh, and then they often think it's a lot newer than it is.
0: Right. I think some of the
2: later skeletal lighthouses are, are not as
0: attractive as this. Um, you know, I think they, they got more... more uh, This utilitarian as time went on? Yeah. So let's talk a bit about the human history here, the light station. Historically, uh, when this was an active uh, station,
2: how many keepers would be assigned? Was it a principal keeper and one or two assistants? So it depends on the era. That's Mm -hmm. a really good question, Jeremy. Uh, If we go back far enough, uh, there was one time where there was a single lighthouse keeper here. And we have a series of letters that he had petitioned uh, the lighthouse service for an assistant keeper, They turned him down several times, uh, but then eventually as the years went on, more and more responsibilities, more and more structures were here, Mm fog signals. There was a submarine bell that was out here. Um, There was a weather station that ended up being here. So the Lighthouse Service recognized that there was a greater need, and they started uh, adding buildings. They they took this keepers' quarters that was built in 1861 and extended it and divided it and made it into a duplex. Then eventually they added a second assistant keepers' here as well, so you ended up having a variety of um, situations where you might have, and the the era that we represent for the most part is the 1920s. You had one keeper here, and then he had two assistants. Mm-hmm. So Robert Carlson was the principal keeper. His wife Anna was a keeper here as well. She actually got sent off to Granite Island at one point to be a uh, maybe a relief lighthouse keeper. We actually have the documentation, which is they always called her Annie Carlson, which. Kind of made me laugh a little bit because I've never seen that reference before. Mm. Um, but yeah, depending on the era, and then of course when the Coast Guard took over, we had uh, the Keeper's quarters became more of a barracks of sorts uh, for young men who, you know, were operating a, a slightly more automated station at that point.
0: Sure, uh, it's a fairly isolated place now. I imagine it must have been considered even more isolated back then, like in the eighteen hundreds definitely yeah the
2: carlsons were at marquette at that mm-hmm. light uh which i think i see on your hat there yeah i was there they, a couple of days ago uh, did well that's a beautiful lighthouse i love that location but if you think of the carlsons leaving there and coming here mm-hmm. they really left a you know they left a lighthouse where they had a great job they were known in the community uh and they picked up and came out here to whitefish point which was a real uh, it, you were switching gears at that point you were getting to more of a remote station you didn't have that Post office nearby, and that hospital and school and everything else. So, yeah, we are a little more remote out here. Yeah.
0: Uh, so uh, you mentioned uh, a little bit about the keepers here, but uh, anything else before we move on that kind of stands out for you historically about the lives of, and the both either the civilian and or Coast Guard days of uh, keepers living at this station here.
2: You know, if anything stands out, we're we're very fortunate that we had a living connection here up until 2007. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert and Anna Carlson, or Annie Carlson, their granddaughter, they raised their grandchildren here. They raised their children, then their grandchildren. Uh, Bertha Endress uh, was their granddaughter, and she spent the first 21 years of her life here at Whitefish Point. And she, as I said, 2007 she passed away, but as we were doing the, the, the interpretation initially in this building, she was the... She was an amazing source of information for us to know what it was like. She remembered what her grandfather did every night. She remembered what her grandmother did. She got to help sometimes up in the lantern room. And uh, just walking the site with her was a real uh, treat and a revelation in some cases to history. So if there's anything, if I can think of a human history for how we interpret it, that's it. Because she was that living connection for us. Oh, yeah. That's always so, so helpful
0: and such a treat uh, to have living history like that. Somebody who can tell you firsthand uh, stories of life at a place like this. So uh, uh, we talked a little bit about the buildings here. How how many buildings in all on the, I would call it a campus? uh,
2: A lot of people call it a campus. So I'm going to run through these in my head because... We, we have to separate what is the non-historical and the historical. So we're sitting right. in a building that was constructed in the mid-1980s right now. Right. We have a gift shop building that was built in the 2000s. Um, yeah. But after that, we've got three buildings for the uh, Coast Guard Lifeboat Station and then a, a lookout tower that goes along with that. Uh, we have the Lighthouse Keepers Quarters itself. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Really, that's it. So we've got the Keeper's Quarters. We've got the Surf boat house. Actually, we've got a little storage building that was probably Coast Guard era as mm-hmm. well. Um, but we've got, it's kind of a hodgepodge. Yeah. And they don't always make sense in their orientation to each other. Part of that has to do with how they were all moved back into place. Um all. Some of them were moved back into place because of the erosion here. Uh, But we even have the U.S. Navy represented here too. In the 1920s, there was a radio compass station Mm -hmm. that was here as well. Mm. So we've got the Coast Guard light boat station represented. We've got the Navy with the radio compass station. And then there is a 1930s era fog signal building that's here too.
0: Okay. I had read that the headquarters is actually in a U.S. National Weather Service building, but Uh, Maybe I was misreading something. Is that? that, No, you
2: you read that correctly, but it's, so we have another museum that's in Sault Ste. Marie. Oh, okay. And I keep saying we, so for your listeners that might not be, uh, you know, might not have an understanding or be familiar with us. We're the mm-hmm. Great Lakes Shipwreck Historical Society, um, and we're a we're a nonprofit that goes back to the 1970s. Uh, but yeah, in St. Marie, there's an 1899 Weather Bureau building, and okay. that's where our administrative offices. But but we have a little museum there too. That's mm-hmm. a pretty cool building. It's right on the grounds of the locks, and I can look out of my office window and see all the ships passing. And so. I'm lucky. Uh, <laughs> it's a cool location.
0: So are you based there all the time personally, or do you, have, uh, do you
2: spend time at both sites? Uh, you know, so I spend my time between the Weather Bureau and the Sioux, and then here, and mm-hmm. then we also have a research vessel that we search for shipwrecks, so I spend some time in the summer there. And uh, there's other locations where we have connections, too, that, that I end up finding yeah. that I'm spending time there, too. So right. I'm kind <laughs> of all over the map these days, I feel like.
0: Okay. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the experience of visitors when they come here. First, do uh,
2: visitors get to climb the lighthouse? They used to get to climb the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're not doing that as much, at least since the pandemic. We've, we've got to give this some thought uh, how quickly we're going to go back to doing that at this point. It's a very narrow um, spiral staircase yeah. and tower that you end up going up. Um, the Coast Guard, I don't think, has ever been super excited that we've taken people up there because again it is still operating yeah um but yeah we're i guess i'll say that there's a chance at some point in the future we'll do that again but since the pandemic started we did stop doing it Mm
0: -hmm. yeah that's understandable and uh the uh there's the lightkeeper's house uh, there, there are things for people to see inside
2: there there are so mm-hmm. it's that Lighthouse Keepers Court is it is a duplex, yeah. and on one side of the building you have a loose interpretation of the 1890s. There's certain rooms that have period settings, but we also have certain rooms that have technology represented. And then you end up going upstairs. There's a bridge that goes up into the tower that people can go and look out. You know, you can get a nice view from there. Mm -hmm. And then you come back through on the opposite or east side of that building. And there's a 1920s representation. And uh, I mentioned Bertha a few moments ago. Uh, The way it's set up is the way she remembered it. And so uh, right down to the pump organ and, um, you know, the office on one end that her grandfather would be doing his administrative paperwork, things yeah. like that. So, yeah. so you get a little bit of uh, two eras as you walk through there. Yeah. You just reminded me of a
0: story. Uh, There's a lighthouse I've been to a million times in Rhode Island, the Rose Island Lighthouse in Newport, Rhode Island. They had a grandson of a keeper there who helped a lot to tell them, you know, what the place looked like in the early 1900s. And they restored it to, to that era. And uh, after they restored the kitchen and had a, a coal stove in there and everything, they say he came in and he said he could just smell his grandmother's cookies baking in the oven. Some people took that to mean that, that he thought the ghost of his grandmother was there, and that grew into a ghost story for the oh us. <laughs> I,
2: th- I think most lighthouses have ghost stories somewhere. I don't know if we should get into that. I mean, maybe <laughs> we could touch on it. Does this place have ghost stories? You know, I've I've heard stories. I've never encountered. Mm-hmm. Um, we've probably had more encounters with paranormal investigation groups yeah. than we actually have of ghosts uh, running around. But um, but there's yeah. a few stories certainly.
0: I would think there would would have to be. But again, uh, we've got a few other things I want to ask you about. So we should probably veer away from that <laughs> that topic. And you mentioned the surf boat house. Uh, I think it's 1923. Uh, right from the the. Uh, the uh,
2: Coast Guard station here. Uh, what is there to see in that building? So, when you walk into the Surfboat House, it's a relatively small building. But the first thing that you notice in that structure is a massive surf boat in there. It takes up a good chunk of the, the building itself. It's about a 25-foot-long boat, um, and this is the type that was used by the, the life saving Service and then in later years the Coast Guard rescue stations. Uh, but there's also a lot of other exhibits and equipment that was used by the Coast Guard and in earlier years the life saving Service, mm-hmm. uh, the Lyle guns, if you're familiar with those. They're yep. little, little cannons that would shoot projectiles with lines and You know, they could pull people off the ships. We have one of those, and we have a beach cart. Um, But it focuses a lot on the human stories, too, and some of the stories of the life-saving service crews that were up here. This confuses people because we never did have a life-saving station here, but there are the four stations that were to the west, and we're really the only entity to interpret that history up here. Um, so, so we do. So much of the history interpreted in that building is about those stations.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's great. So
2: we're sitting here
0: in the gallery of the shipwreck museum, the main gallery here, and the obviously the what literally is the centerpiece visually <laughs> as you come in here is this fantastic lens in front of me. This absolutely gorgeous, huge uh, Fresnel lens.
2: Could you tell me a bit about that? Certainly. Uh, so this bivalve second order Fresnel lens. Uh, largest, you know, at least largest size used on the Great Lakes. Uh, This one comes from the White Shoal Lighthouse, which is in the western entrance of the Straits of Mackinac. Uh, Matter of fact, there is a preservation group that is turning that into uh, B&B, which I think people have actually been allowed to stay there, even I think as of last year. You know, Uh our staff, they were a little bit concerned that, and I had a lot of people... A lot of our staff approaching me saying, we're really going to have to, uh, to be careful. They're going to want to come and get their original lens back. Uh, we're very fortunate. It's, it's a permanent loan at this point from the Coast Guard that we have it. And it's been in the building ever since the, uh, the building was constructed in the mid-80s. So, mm-hmm. 86, this building was built in 87. The museum itself was opened up. And there's another Fresnel lens here as well, right? We do. There's a little bit of a mystery. So there's a uh, there's a fourth order Fresnel that we have here. We have a little plaque on it that indicates that it's um, on loan from a family in Sault Ste. Marie, but we don't really have any documentation on that. It's a uh, It would have been a fourth order without any flash panels, so it probably would have just been a steady white light. Um, it mentions that it's from Isle O'Gallet or Skilligilly there, northern lake michigan as you're approaching the straits but like i said it's kind of strange because we just we just don't have much in the way of documentation on that one but it's very pretty very pretty lens certainly
0: it is there's quite a few of those lenses floating around where we don't know their their origin exactly but uh, these are beautiful beautiful lenses here and there's a lot more to see here obviously but lighthouse buffs will be certainly attracted to those just off to my left here is the bell from the edmund fitzgerald
2: right that's correct. Uh,
0: and I'm sure that uh, probably is one of the, the big reasons why, why people come here. Uh, of course, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald in 1975, about 17 miles from Whitefish Point. Is 17 miles right? northwest, that's yeah. right. Uh, and obviously the Gordon Lightfoot song helped popularize that. But why, uh, besides the song, why do you think uh, that's
2: such a, a famous shipwreck? I think there's a lot of reasons. Uh, the song, as you stated, certainly helped tremendously but that ship that was you know gordon lightfoot talks about it being the pride of the american side and it really was it was a flagship for the columbia transportation division of the ogle bay norton company uh it was a very young ship uh when it sank it was built in 1958 by great Lakes standards being freshwater ships tend to last longer this ship was a regular sight going through the Locks, so a lot of people had seen it right. and i just think the idea that a uh ship that's over 700 feet long could sink so quickly without having time to get a distress signal out you know on a great lake I think it just amazes people
1: mm-hmm. and
2: uh, so you combine a lot of those factors and there is a definitely a fascination about this shipwreck
0: yeah there's a lot here to see of course and we don't have time to talk about all of it but this is kind of a tough question to ask you what are the highlights of this museum because it's <laughs> How much time do we have here? Yeah. yeah. Anything else that you think uh, lighthouse buffs would be
2: especially attracted to here? You know, I, I think there's a, I think, There's a lot of reasons why lighthouse buffs and individuals that are just interested in maritime history in general. There's going to be, it's cliche to say it, but I do think there's a little bit of something for everybody up here. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we have the nature trails. There is a bird observatory up here, so we get birders. But you will get the lighthouse buffs that Mm -hmm. come through. You'll get those shipwreck um, aficionados that come through. Uh, but just about everybody just loves going out on that beach and, and walking you know on that beach and looking out over Lake Superior and seeing the ships passing not that far away yeah um, but I'd say the other thing here too is the human stories that we like to focus on and uh, you know a ship is interesting the architecture of a vessel can be fascinating or the architecture of a lighthouse. But I don't know that they're quite as interesting if you don't have the humans and the keepers and those stories and yep. the sailors. Uh, and we really like to put an emphasis on those human stories. And I think that gets into people's imaginations and they come back and then they come back again. And they'll yeah. tell their friends, bring their family up if they're locals. And so mm-hmm. I, I think um, we're fortunate, but, but we also try to, try to tell stories that really uh, fascinate people mm-hmm. at the same
0: time. Yeah, well, it's always the human stories that bring a place to life. You know, it's the, the people that made it uh, really interesting. So your emphasis is in the right place there. Uh, the gift shop, I understand, is super uh, busy here in, in, in the summer, which is, uh, you know, for a lot of people would be surprised. There's such a busy shop and busy site here uh, in a fairly
2: remote area. But what uh, what sorts of things are in your gift shop? So we have a little bit of everything in there, but mm-hmm. we, we certainly have lighthouse, um, Whitefish Point, Lighthouse-related materials. We have a really, really big book section that has a lot of different um, everything from Lighthouse and Life-Saving Service reprint documents for those people that are super excited about Lighthouse history. You can actually go and get a copy of the instructions to Lighthouse Keepers. We have different kinds of you know hats and shirts and things like that. Um, really, there's just a little bit of everything in there, but we also have a lot of artwork too. So if you're looking for artwork of Whitefish Point or some of the surrounding lighthouses in this area, or, you know, of course, the Edmund Fitzgerald, people want books about the Fitzgerald, they might want to have a hat that might have the Edmund Fitzgerald listed on it. And we we have those things too. You have lighthouse hats? We do. As a matter of fact, we're getting some that are very similar to what the you sell uh, for the website there for the U.S. Uh, lighthouse Society with the, you know, the old historic uh, lighthouse service logo on uh-huh. them. You know, we've oddly enough never had those before. And I've had some that I purchased from the U.S. Lighthouse Society. One that I have has a little, you know, the little shield on it. Mm-hmm. and uh, But I really love those that have the logo, almost like a lighthouse keeper's hat would have had. Uh, those are coming in. And, uh, yeah, a lot of other things with Lighthouse connections. And you sure. get your passport stamp. Oh, yeah, too. I meant
0: to ask you about that. Of course you have a stamp for the U.S. Lighthouse Society passports, I'm sure. We a have a new people... one this year, too.
2: So. Oh, do you? Yeah, apparently yes. the old one was not uh, up to snuff. impressive somehow, no. so we ended up getting a new one. Uh, could you tell me about the, the work of the the shipwreck societies at uh, the research
0: vessel, the David Boyd
2: Yes. Yeah, so we, we have an old Army Corps of Engineers. It's just under 50 feet long. Uh, it is it is a research vessel. That's what it was used for the Corps. Uh, and so it was a natural fit for us. But primarily what that boat is, it is a platform for towing a sonar. Mm-hmm. So there's a company out in Yorktown, Virginia called Marine Sonic Technology. And they build a uh, sonar system for us. And we tow that sonar. We can we can actually see what's on the bottom of the lake, um, sometimes better than others. But we can get images. It, it isn't like you're looking through a periscope or something, but you can see interesting images of what's on the bottom of the lake. So we will be out there sometimes 12, 13, 14 hours a day pulling that sonar and mowing the grass as we say basically what it means is you're just doing passes you're covering a grid and seeing if there's anything in that grid that you set aside Uh, then if we find something we have an rov Uh, we actually are getting another one here soon Uh, but it's a remotely operated vehicle it's like a little robot it's got high intensity lighting on it and uh, we've had it down on one shipwreck that was off the Keweenaw that was over 850 feet deep and uh, it was a World War I era steamship uh, that sank, and we were able to document it. But what this does, there's, there's a few things. Searching for and discovering and documenting shipwrecks, that's how the organization got started back in the 70s. The lighthouse ended up being a great place to uh, have a museum and it was being, at that time, it was, uh, of course, it was automated in the early 1970s, but it was a, it was a great location to have yeah. a museum. So the founding fathers, if you want to call them that, of the Shipwreck Society, saw an old light station that needed restoration and worked with the Coast Guard. Um, but getting back to your question about the Boyd, uh, we're out there about every day the weather allows us. And then when we find a shipwreck, it becomes a new subject matter for a, for an exhibit. Mm -hmm. and we can tell the story of that shipwreck we actually found nine new ones last year wow and that was a an amazing year for us it was a record year we've never found that many in one year before so apparently we were looking in the right places and we had a crew and the weather cooperated amazingly well last year yeah that sounds like a fantastic
0: uh, part of your the work you do here it's very exciting for sure interesting yeah so uh, I know the uh, Great Lakes Shipwreck Historical Society has restored uh, the historic buildings here uh, over the years. What uh, cur- and, and it's a job that's never done, obviously, preserving a place like this, a lighthouse and other buildings in, in this kind of environment. But
2: what is the condition currently of the lighthouse itself? The lighthouse is in fantastic shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a restoration on it, which was more of a cosmetic restoration about six years ago, because it really doesn't we're fortunate. It's not a stone tower. Um, you know, this iron pile tower with its different cross sections and members and cast iron, it's, it's not going to disintegrate, you know, like maybe a lot of other lights that you would see at least having that kind of, uh, maintenance concern. Uh, but we keep it painted. Um, and we, if there's anything that looks like it's out of place, there's a number of, uh, different, um, restoration oriented contractors that we work with, uh, Getting them up here can be a real challenge sometimes, mm-hmm. um, but but yeah, it's we're fortunate. We <laughs> we don't paint it like the lighthouse keepers had to do back in the day. I don't think they felt that they were fortunate because it was going to be that much harder right. um, of a uh, tower to paint. Um, but but no, it's it holds up well. The buildings take a beating here. Winters are very harsh uh it's nothing to have three four five feet of snow out here mm-hmm. at times uh, a lot of that's drifting but we had a pretty harsh winter this last year too and our little cabin we still have three and four foot drifts out there right now and we're opening up the museum in a week so right. uh it's kind of crazy yeah it's kind of a,
0: a late uh spring here as far as i could tell although it went up from like where we were yesterday it went up from like 32 to 75 and <laughs> in one day
2: very strange. Kind of like yeah. New
0: England. It's it's a winter one moment and it's summer the next. What happened to spring? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds very familiar. Yeah. So are any more restoration projects
2: here in the pipeline? We have a few that are ongoing. You know, we, we raise money as we go to do these restorations. But that motor lifeboat house that I told you about is just finishing this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a motor life boat that's a 19, mid-30s era Type TR, U.S. Coast Guard motor lifeboat, 36-footer. That restoration has been gone ongoing for a few years. That's hopefully should be done this year, but I'm not going to hold my breath on that. Um, we are doing work on the Lighthouse Keepers quarters as well, uh, just general maintenance-related work, painting, um, and the Navy Radio Building, as we call it, this U.S. Navy building we just finished up a few years ago. Yeah. So if we finish them all up, that's going to be about the time to start again uh, mm-hmm, on, right. on other buildings. But those are probably some of the main ones. Yeah. Okay. So Whitefish Point, also, uh,
0: I believe, uh, part of the the point, the area around here, is a actually a wildlife refuge. It,
2: yes. Is that correct? Yeah. It, it's correct. We we have Sini National Wildlife Refuge has property here, and on their property, there's actually some areas where there's endangered species, uh, the the piping plover, as mm-hmm. an example, but the Whitefish Point Bird Observatory has been here for a very long time and Michigan Audubon has taken that over so mm-hmm. they operate a little station up here and they do various events um, they have uh, hawk counters uh, you know that'll be up in these little almost looks like a little booth that they'll sit in and they'll count uh, hawks as they're flying around I'm not quite sure how they tell one from the other uh, but, but we have uh, owl banders that are up here too so there is a there's a good percentage of people that come up just to see the the bird life, the the avian life that's up here too. Sure,
0: sure, I can understand that. So uh, there's so much we could talk about, but I'm gonna just uh, ask you one final question for bonus points, all right. And that question is, what has been your personal favorite thing about your association with the Shipwreck Museum and uh, the light station at Whitefish Point?
2: That's a really hard question to answer. Uh, I'm very lucky to be here. And there have been a lot of exciting things from being, as an example, last year when we were out on our research vessel. You know, I've gone on out, I've gone out on it a lot. I've never been on it when we actually found a shipwreck, which was this never-ending source of irritation that, oh, they're out there again, and they just found another wreck. Uh, I was actually on board this year when we found a shipwreck. And it turned out that it's a very rare type of vessel. It's a whaleback Um, you know, there weren't too many of these whaleback. They called them pig boats because they looked like they had snouts. They were exclusive to the Great Lakes. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's one called Barge 129 that we're pretty sure we found last year. That was an exciting moment. Gordon Lightfoot uh, came up for the 40th anniversary of the sinking of the Fitzgerald. And he didn't surprise us, but we had relatively short notice that he was coming up Mm -hmm. and sitting down in the cruise quarters with him and surviving family members from the Edmund Fitzgerald and just having a chat that was a very special moment, too. Yeah. Um, Jeremy, that's a that's a tough question yeah. to narrow down. <laughs> but there's you... two good examples right there.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, I'm sure you could go on. Obviously, you, you love this place. It seems like a, a great fit for you being here, great for, for the place and great for, for you personally. So <laughs> it's such a pleasure to visit here. And I, I really appreciate appreciate you spending this time with me today, Bruce. Thank you for hosting me and Nick here today. And I want to look around the place a little bit before I before I leave,
2: and uh, I'm thrilled to visit here. I'm
0: happy. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: I'm happy that you're happy, and I appreciate being a part of the podcast. And uh, certainly, if you ever want to come back out again, don't hesitate. Give us a call.
1: You can learn more about the Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum at Whitefish Point at shipwreckmuseum.com. There's an online store on the site where you can buy books, DVDs, and Whitefish Point souvenirs.
0: When I was planning my recent trip to the Great Lakes, the two places at the top of my list were Split Rock in Minnesota and Whitefish Point, Michigan. I was so happy to be able to visit both of those places. Uh, Thanks to Nick Horstad for helping to make that possible. And a big thank you to Bruce Lynn for the great interview and the tour of the place.
1: Thanks to the volunteers, members, and staff of the US Lighthouse Society. Be sure to check out uslhs.org to check out all the things that the society offers. Remember that donations and memberships help support this podcast.
0: Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or any podcast platform that allows you to post reviews. And please share word of this podcast on social media.
1: The author Sharon Alder once wrote, quote, Don't ever let anyone put out your light because they are blinded by it. End quote.
0: The next episode of Lighthearted will feature two interviews related to Michigan lighthouses at Eagle River and Sand Hills. As always, to all our regular listeners and to our new ones, thanks so much for listening and
1: keep a good light.